and we'll be talking to Megan. Now, this is an interesting conversation, part of uh, the Amplifying Voices event that was put on at the festival. Um, and Megan Paul is from Cheltenham and she was touching on the fact, of, well, I say touching, that's very relevant, touching on the fact of just how infuriating and difficult it is when people uh, hover and go for her guide dog rather than acknowledging her. I have a guide dog who comes with me wherever I go. And it is interesting to see the impact that that has on my identity. I often find that people will come up to her, stroke her and talk to her when she's in harness, even when she's guiding me, even when I'm crossing a road, which is the most unhelpful time to stroke a guide dog. As you can appreciate, so we'll be hearing from Megan shortly. Capaldi and before you go it's a quarter past one uh, so all this week then on BBC Radio Gloucestershire we're reflecting on the Barnwood Trust festival event it was amplifying voices together with lives of colour and what started out as an informal online panel discussion about embracing diversity here in Gloucestershire and taking action together for positive change uh, has become really quite a discussion point we're going to be hearing from some of those who took part over the um, past and uh, through the rest of the week and today it's Megan Paul from Cheltenham. This is what she recorded for the beginning of that event. Hello, my name is Megan. I was born completely blind and I think this gives me a different way of looking at things. One of the fun things about being blind is that I often smell or find things that are that other people wouldn't find. For instance, I can smell aeroplanes in the sky and because I read braille, I can read in the car without getting travel sick. The flip side to this is that often I can't share the fun things about being blind with people who understand what I'm talking about. I have a guide dog who comes with me wherever I go and it is interesting to see the impact that that has on my identity. I often find that people will come up to her stroke her and talk to her when she's in harness, even when she's guiding me, even when I'm crossing a road, which is the most unhelpful time to stroke a guide dog. I find that people often talk to me, to the dog before talking to me, or even try and talk to me through the dog. So they'll say, hello dog, what's your name? What kind of dog are you? And it's quite an isolating experience. The dog is part of me. She's part of what I do and she isn't me. She's my assistant. So I guess for me, it's this interesting place where I often see or experience things that other people don't. Most people are too busy looking at the wonderful things in the world around them to notice all the beautiful smells and, and wonderful textures that we have that make up our world. It would be lovely to be able to share this with more people and for them to be able to see what I'm talking about without feeling that it's a shame that I can't experience the sight that they have. Interesting, isn't it? Megan Paul from Cheltenham and Megan's on the line now. Hello to you, Megan. Good afternoon, Anna. Now, look, before we go any further, I've got to talk to you about smelling the planes in the sky. Please <laughs> tell me more about that. That's extraordinary. Tell me more. Um, well, it's more that um, 
aeroplane fuel, which is a, a smell I kind of like. I think it's because it reminds me of summer holidays going on the plane. Um, and, I, and I can smell it in the sky. And I, I guess it's it's like jet trails, isn't it, for for people who can see, maybe. Um, but it's weird sometimes. <clears throat> sometimes I think, um, oh, gosh, you know, um, it smells of plane fuel. Why does it? And then the plane will appear afterwards. So the what's going on there. That's really ca- the only time I ever had um, that intensity of smell was when I was pregnant. I have to be honest, and I, I to that to this day, hand on heart, I swear that I could smell the the uncracked eggs, you know, the whole eggs inside the fridge, and yeah. I stand by that to this day. It's really weird how things can sort of play, you know, with your uh, with your senses. But so it was very interesting to hear about some of the uh, the different experiences you've had from your perspective. How important was it then? to be able to share that in this way and also you know now really um i think it is it's really important for me i mean what i love about the organization um who ran the the workshop lives of color is that i initially thought okay people um you know who who identify as as having a different colored skin and and for me color is actually really really important to me because i used to be able to see color um I can't anymore. And I always wear bright things and yellow's my favorite color. And, um, and yeah, so um, color is so important to me. And um, so I just love how it's called. I love how it's called Lives of Color. Um, I think that's great. Now, in your video introduction, and indeed in the panel, you talked about um, your experiences, some of them positive and some of them I, I was really quite shocked about actually because you you do have a guide dog she is part of your team of two if you like um but but you know i thought everybody i'd be naive i thought everybody knew don't talk to a guide dog don't distract a guide dog when they're working when they're in harness they're working i think blue peter told me that when i was about seven but that's not everybody's reaction to you then when you're when you're with the dog no i mean some people have said to me that they see the dog and not the harness, that they literally can't see that the dog's in harness, which is interesting because it's bright yellow, <laughs> high vis. I was once um, in a pub without my dog and was talking to someone about how I have a guide dog. And they said, can I ask you, I've always wanted to know, why do guide dogs wear those funny harness things? <laughs> So I guess it's just a <laughs> reminder. Um, oh, the other one I had um, was um, I crossed the road with my guide dog and this woman said, excuse me, did you know that you don't have a very good guide dog? And I sort of said, what? <laughs> well, I've just seen you crossing the road and the dog didn't look left and right before you crossed. <laughs> so as, as, funny, as funny as these incidents are, um, you know, it's um, it's actually it's kind not of funny. <laughs> <laughs> not really funny at all is it because this is your life well, and particularly if you're on the road it's just a reminder that um actually um there is maybe still some work to to be done in terms of telling people more about the wonderful world of guide dogs yeah yeah absolutely so one area of the discussion that that came up as well for you when you were um speaking was around jobs and you talked about a specific incident that happened when you applied for a job i'd love it if you could tell me a bit more about it yeah um i think the low point in my job hunting was um so i applied for the job it doesn't say on my cv or anywhere that i'm blind because i don't 
that's not me. You know, I'm a person looking for a job with great skills. A blindness is just kind of like my hair colour and I don't put that on my CV. Um, so when I get offered an interview, I'll then say, um, thank you, just to let you know, I'll be accompanied by my guide dog. Um, and this person replied within 24 hours, said, oh, great, we've always wanted a dog in the office. Um, when I went to the interview, it was entirely questions about the dog. How old is he? What kind of dog is he? This was my previous dog. Um, is what, what breed is it? It was quite difficult, you know, to go, well, he's a Labrador retriever. And I really think I could bring a lot to this role. But, you know, <laughs> there were no subtle segues there at all. <laughs> Do you think that was... Uh, discomfort on their part that they, they were kind of covering for I don't really know how to deal with the situation so I'm going to focus on the thing that I know which is the dog or a dog possibly possibly and I could give her the benefit of the doubt um, in that way I think um, well put it this way they said to me that I wouldn't be getting the job because I didn't have the experience but they'd love to have the dog um, <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh Megan so, Megan uh, so I said well I said if you want the dog I'm afraid I come as part of the package um, and things like that they can make I, I do feel small as a result of things like that and, and at the end of the day I think well if they see the dog and not me do I want to work for them and the answer is probably no good point well made we'll take a break we'll come back with more from Megan in Cheltenham BBC Radio Gloucestershire it's Anna here Uh, so Megan's based in Cheltenham then we're hearing from Megan Paul and she was part of the Amplifying Voices Together with Lives of Colour at the Barnwood Trust Festival event and she was speaking about um, her experience in regards to other people and how they react to her and indeed to her guide dog. Uh, coming back to you, Megan, I, I wanted to pick up on something that there's uh, you could explain perhaps better than anybody else, really. You say there are things like medical disability and then there's social disability. So what do you mean by that? Um, so basically, there are different ways of looking at the world, I guess, as a disabled person. Um, I mean, so the medical model is the idea that, so for instance, you know, I was born without eyes that don't work and that's why I just can't read any of the printed information about around me. It's one of those things, but I live in a, a print-dominated society and that's just also how it is. Um, the social model of disability is more popular now because it um, basically says that the person with a disability is fine and that actually society... Um, is at fault because, well, or not at fault, but not doesn't integrate the person. So, for instance, in this case, it would be, well, you know, people need to work on reasonable adjustments and providing information in different formats. Now, I one thing I was advocating for during this discussion is the responsible model of disability, which I've made up, by the way. <laughs> um, and the reason I, I came up with it is because I think, I mean... I can go around blaming being blind. I can blame the world. I can blame these people for coming and distracting the dog. And actually, the only person who can control my happiness is me. And one thing I've noticed is that none of those models plays any emphasis on the disabled person at all. You know, it's either their condition or it's other people. It's never them. So an example of this, when I was a teenager, I was always, you know, saying, it's not fair. People always speak to me like I'm a child. Well, guess what? You know, I looked really miserable. I was always hunched up, looking down at the floor. 
you know, and then, well, it's not surprising, is it? And also I was acting a bit, you know, like a child. So when I began to um, hold my head high in happier times, the way people changed to me, uh, spoke to me did change. And so I see, you know, okay, so it's not great that I can't always read the printed information around me. So then it's my responsibility to start asking questions. Um, so, yes, I hope that explains it. So the social and medical models of disability are known, and then the responsible model. Um, I hope someone else has thought of it. And um, <laughs> as far as I know, it's not got an academic's name next to it. Maybe it should be yours next to it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, why, not? why not indeed? What's the one thing then that you would like to say to other people about your experience in life that we could make better or easier or you know apart from not talking to the dog when they're in harness and halfway across the road is there anything else that we could learn today this comes off the back of a question that one of the audience put to me at the end of the panel which is well kind of how how should we approach you you know if you don't want us to dive in and start talking to the dog how do we get your attention when you can't see us do we just kind of touch you or grab you or what so i think one thing that that um Gloucestershire, the great town of Glo- the county of Gloucestershire could do to help me is, uh, or a blind person like me, I would say talk first before touching because just having someone randomly touch me as a young woman who doesn't look bad, um, <laughs> you know, can be a bit of a... Um, so just, and it sounds basic, talk to me as you would anyone else. I mean, okay, so... I'm afraid you've not got my eye contact and you've probably got my dogs by then. So even if it's just saying, excuse me, please, could, could, would it be possible for me to say hello to your lovely dog? Or, hi, my name is so-and-so and, you know, I saw you. And, you know, just that, that basic thing of not interacting through the dog. I mean, people get massive brownie points from me if they ask to soak the dog because it's like, wow, they asked me. I can't believe it. And... A lot of the time I'll say yes and I'll tell them how great I think they are because they asked me first because it's rare. (laughs) Really? Well, there you go. Something we can take away and learn on. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm going to try and smell the planes above just to see what you're talking about. Amazing is that. Uh, Megan, really interesting to speak to you. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Megan Paul then uh, from Cheltenham.